Hi everyone, John Clare here. Welcome to the Ebofi Podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Today's episode features Jeff Brown, who is the CEO of NAPFA, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. For those of you who haven't heard of NAPFA before, they're one of the groups driving a lot of change in the financial advisory space. If you're looking for an advisor, this is going to be a great podcast for you to learn about what to look for, especially at a time where everyone out there sounds the same and in truth, they could be very different. You can also check out more about NAPFA, which has lots of great resources on its website, napfa.org. That's N-A-P-F-A.org. Jeff was kind enough to join us today from their offices in Chicago. So if the audio sounds a little bit different than us in the studio, that would be the reason. As you'll see, it seemed like Jeff was having quite a nice time with us. There were certainly lots of laughing, and perhaps he was just laughing at us, not with us. I'll let you decide for yourself. Anyway, representing the EvoFi team today is myself, John Clare, also Dave O'Brien and Mariami Pierce. If you're not already a subscriber to this podcast, please subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, we love your feedback and your questions, so drop us a line at evofipodcast at gmail.com. That's E-V-O-F-I podcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at evofipodcast. As a reminder, this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and some fun too. If you need advice in any of the areas mentioned, tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help you. With that said, here's the EvoFi team talking with Jeff Brown. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, and welcome to EvoFi Podcast the finance podcast for humans. This is episode 14, and we are lucky enough to feature Jeffrey Brown, CAE and CEO of the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, also known as NAPFA in our circles. We're going to get down to the meaning of all that in a little while, but first I want to say welcome to Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John. How's it going? Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Uh, In the uh, studio today, I've got Dave O'Brien, CFP, and Mariami Pierce both EvoFi team members. And it should be disclosed that uh, our own Dave O'Brien is also the incoming NAPFA national chair for, what, 2019? 2019-2020. Okay, so we've got a couple ringers on the on the, the <laughs> podcast today. Uh, we which, know how to spell NAPFA. Yeah, yeah. And so we're, we're really lucky to have both of you guys here, although I'll try to remind Dave that it is Jeff's podcast, but I think having the two of you here will be fantastic. So we'll just sit here and try and watch and enjoy and harness you guys into the right direction. Um, Always so, hard to do sometimes well, with me on the, <laughs> I'm actually, you know, I heard, la- I heard the la- just, just as an aside for our listeners. So if you listen to the great podcast that just came before this with Matt Paxton, one that I was not able to attend, I hear it was like the best ever. And I just wonder, yeah, coincidence or you Listener mail. We'll, we'll have to find out. I want to hear from everybody out oh, there. Back shucks. to you, John. Well, I guess we found uh, that it does work when you've got a TV personality as a podcast guest, and he tends to keep the uh, the conversation going. So, um, But this is a different podcast, and, and Jeff, we're lucky to have you, so thank you. 
Um, so interestingly, before we get started, I found something in the news here um, that we t- we're going to talk about kind of the power of advice and financial planning. And what we like to say is NAFTA really sets the standard for, for uh, financial planning and advice in our space. And I saw this article just now called Illegal Tax Move to Avoid at Year End. Were you Googling illegal tax moves no, to make? No, it came up on Yahoo oh, okay. Finance. And, and, and we talk about uh, what, where we live in and what kind of advice that people get. This is from a U.S. News and World Report. And here are the five things that you're not supposed to do. Claim your pet as a dependent. Not report all your income. Claim tax credits which you don't qualify for. And ignore current tax law. <laughs> so I found that to be a very helpful article. Kind of obvious. Uh, yeah. Most of the comments were to that effect. Like, really, did you have to waste my time with an article like that? And now that we've all heard that. <clears throat> the point is, is... There's some good advice out there. I'm not sure that was uh, that was very helpful, but nonetheless. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal, Jeff. Before we get into the topic at hand, we have what we call the Evo 5. Okay. And uh, these are five questions that we like to ask our guests just to to humanize you a little bit. And especially for for you, who's someone who's kind of sits atop of an organization who people may not realize is, you know, you, that you are a real person and, uh, you know, uh, you know, you're there's a man behind the myth. Uh we want to ask you a few questions, okay? There are no wrong answers. All right, First, go for it. what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I always thought that uh, if I wasn't an association executive, I would have been an attorney, but that seems kind of boring. So uh, probably an international airline pilot. You know, I see these guys hop on the planes, they fly for 12 hours, they end up in Asia, they spend a couple of nights, they fly back, uh, and I love travel. Do you like to fly? I do. I do. I would much rather take a 14-hour flight than drive five hours at a time. But if you're the pilot, that's kind of like a 14-hour drive. <laughs> no, you're only on for eight, and then you get uh, four hours of shut-eye, and then you, you go again. And the planes fly, fly themselves pretty much. So Pretty much. You just need to stay awake. You just have to look good in the uniform. <laughs> that's a different podcast. Okay. Hey, uh, have you ever flown a plane before, Jeff? Do you, ever, do you do flying lessons or anything like that? I've never flown a plane. Okay. Always passenger. I think I'll settle for being a passenger, but quite a respectable profession, that's for sure. All right, that was a great answer. What's your favorite word? Wow, that that is that's a great. <laughs> he stumped <question>. you. <laughs> uh, probably nevertheless. Nevertheless, uh, you know, I think it's a good one to insert into conversation. It works in an email. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That that is very similar to uh, a favorite word of an attorney who has mm-hmm. been on our podcast in the past what was that here to fourth it, it was it was notwithstanding notwithstanding yes it's a good transition a, another yeah. good sam one. kaufman notwithstanding mm-hmm. very consistent that's okay. good what would you do differently if you knew that no one would judge you you guys really put some thought into these questions i'm sorry um, i would probably drive the speed limit less <laughs> I'm, Honesty, I'm a natural I love born, it. yeah i'm a natural born rule follower and so yeah if i didn't think i would get caught i'd probably speed one yeah well you see how to think about that one I, I appreciate that you know you got to be careful with some of those answers so you would speed more we don't have a lot of police officers uh that listen to this podcast so you're safe not yet all right greatest of all time jeff or the goat question in business sport entertainment whatever you can think of who comes to mind as someone who you think is one of the greatest of all time. 
Wow. In sports, I'd probably say I'm a huge Indianapolis Colts fan, so I definitely would have to go with a little Peyton Manning action and quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, so that would probably be my sports one. Uh, business, uh, you know, a toss to Dave. I'm a big fan of Jack Welch and you too, John. Big fan of Jack Welch. Um, you know, taking a lot of lessons from some of his books. So those would probably be my two. Okay. That's great. You actually, I probably, uh, you answered more than one, which is awesome. So that's a first. So thank you. Who do we, Peyton Manning. He's a great actor too. I like some of his more comedic work. <laughs> when are they returning to Baltimore? <laughs> nice. Between oh, yeah. you and my dad, you're never going to let <clears throat> that go. <laughs> is that why? Because you're from Baltimore, right? Uh, I grew up outside of Baltimore. And yeah. uh, you know, growing up, I was a Redskins fan. And then when I moved to Indianapolis, my dad said to me, one thing I don't want you to do is like the Colts. Mm. Uh, so I you know, held out for a couple of years. And then you know, I, I just jumped on the bandwagon and mm. been a fan ever since. Well, when I was little, we used to go to the Colts games in Baltimore from Richmond. Johnny and Itis. We, we buy, we, I'm not that old. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Neither have I. I've just read about him in the history books. Anyway. All right. All right Jeff. I didn't have a trading card with his name on it. Here's, here's, the, uh, here's the one that, that, that we talked about up front. This is the Name That Tune section. And we try and make this in the theme of the podcast. And I have to admit that Dave here was the curator of this particular song. Um, well, in, in the spirit of what NAPFIT is all about. Absolutely. And I've been singing this for a week after listening to it, so it's actually quite catchy. So here we go, Jeff. The only thing I can think of is one of those Pitch Perfect movies. <laughs> Oh, close, close. Yeah, it's kind of close. Although I don't think that this particular singer was in any of those uh, acapella or uh, high school musical genre, which are all good. Good. This this could go down as an informal kind of nap for anthem, actually. What's the song? It's uh, the artist. Dave, go ahead. Take the honors on this one. So it's Jessie J, and the song is Price Tag. Okay. Now, I don't think she's talking about the uh, various business models in the financial uh, industry, but it sure does seem kind of aligned to that. <laughs> I guarantee you after this, you listen to it. It's quite Sale catchy, comes actually. first. Yeah. Truth comes second. So. And she's quite popular. She's, she's, uh, she is. She's dating she? Shannon Tatum. There, there we go. See, you know who I'm talking there about. Yeah. All right. Re- All right Jeff redeeming himself with the <laughs> pop star trivia. Uh-huh. Awesome. All right, right, Jeff. Yeah, you're a good sport. Thank you. So that we're past the hard part now. All right, here we go. So let's talk about NAPFA a little bit, something that you're obviously quite familiar with. Um, We've done a few podcasts before. We've talked about the landscape, the industry, and the challenges that are out there and the different types of service models and all that stuff. And so we wanted to start first with NAPFA and and work our way down from there. Um, We use NAPFA a lot in our world uh, as as something that's... um, uh, quite a serious uh, uh, a credential, if you will, even though it's not a credential, but it's a you know it's an important thing that we feel clients need to understand. So tell us a little bit about, or maybe not even us, the people listening to the lay people, what NAPF is, what it stands for, and kind of what need it fulfills. Okay, uh, so NAPF is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Uh, it's the country's leading professional association of fee-only financial advisors. 
Uh, and it's made up of highly trained professionals who are committed to working in the best interest of those they serve. And I think it's that last part that really does set NAPA apart from some of the other professional associations in the financial services space. Uh, so the association was formed in 1983 when a group of advisors uh, simply wanted to serve their clients without muddying the relationships through commissions. Um, so we're celebrating our 35th anniversary, which is pretty nice. exciting. Uh, when you think about how the financial planning and financial advisory landscapes have changed over the course of 35 years, NAPA has been at the forefront driving a lot of that evolution. Um, so when you think about who our members are, uh, you really need to think about what they're committed to. Um, you know, we've developed some of the highest standards in the field, and each advisor must sign and renew uh, a fiduciary oath. And we'll get to why that's important a little bit later. Uh, and subscribe to the organization's code of ethics. Um, you know, I think it's really important to understand the values that NAPA members live by. Uh, and not to be too clinical, uh, I feel like all NAPA members are committed to being a beacon for independent uh, and objective financial advice for individuals and families. So I think that's that client-consumer centricity that exists within our community. Uh, to be a champion for financial services delivered in the public interest. And then lastly, to be a standard bearer for the emerging profession of financial planning. So when you think about where we've come from, where we're going, NAPFA's kind of in the nexus for driving a lot of change in the space. So we, we like to refer to NAPFA, they're the good guys, and not to imply that everybody else is a bad guy, but they tend to stand for a lot of the things that, that we feel are important. Uh, what would you say to people who say, well, I, if I'm a listener and I don't know much about the space and I'm looking for financial advice, well, they'd hear that and say, well, of course, I want someone who does all that. You know, why would I look somewhere else? So. In your opinion, why why do people end up, obviously, the fee-only space, and Dave, you may know the answer to this, but the fee-only fiduciary space relative to the entire kind of advisory pie is still quite small, correct? And so why why do fi people find themselves in a different service model? How does that happen? You know, I, I think it's primarily just because of availability. You know, as you noted, we're dealing with an advisory landscape that's probably 300 plus thousand strong, but then when you get into the fee-only channel, you know, it's a fraction of that total population. So, you know, I, I think most consumers want what NAPFA members provide and how they provide it. It's just the availability and the access to it. Um, you know, so often, you know, consumers have a, a misconception about how they're receiving their advice, the nature of the relationship, how they're paying for it. Uh, and then when you start to talk to them about the realities of working with a NAPFA member versus working with another professional, uh, then the light bulb turns on and things start to click and they realize who they want to work with. And that's when they come to find uh, professionals like you, Dave and Marianne. So t tell me, you mentioned the word uh, NAPFA registered financial advisor. So mention, tell us a little bit more about what that means. Uh, you kind of alluded to it, but what does that mean? And why should a consumer feel like that that is, um, that is a, a good choice for them potentially? Sure, sure. So members of NAPFA who have met uh, all the necessary requirements of membership have earned the right to call themselves a NAPFA registered financial advisor. Uh, so this is our highest category of membership, uh, and it's recognized within the field and by those in the media as identifying a professional who's met certain ethical experience and educational requirements. So all NAPFA registered financial advisors uh, must attain their CFP designation. Uh, they must agree to primarily engage in holistic financial planning. Uh, they meet rigorous continuing education requirements. So all NAPFA registered financial advisors are required to do 60 hours of continuing education every two years, uh, which is amongst the highest in the space. 
they have to submit themselves to outside professional review of their form ADV to verify the fact that they don't receive any commissions and have the associated conflicts of interest. Uh, and they also have to submit a financial plan or submit to a peer review of their financial planning process before they can be admitted. Uh, so when you think about all of those requirements, it really does create uh, some barriers to entry that make becoming a NAPA registered financial advisor something that's pretty special. Uh, and so it's not for everyone, even within our own membership ranks, uh, not all members are NAPA registered financial advisors. And what are the what are the other options then? Uh, if they're not NAPA registered financial advisors, what are the other categories? Yeah, so we have membership categories available for those that work in academia. So professors, faculty members, uh, we have membership categories for students, whether they're part-time or full-time. Uh, and then we have a NAPA associate category, which is another practitioner-based membership offering uh, that's designed for fee-only professionals. They could be planners, they could be paraplanners, they could be work in compliance, um, but they just haven't made the commitment to become a NAPA registered financial advisor. Um, but they are all fee-only professionals. So no one affiliated with the organization from a membership perspective uh, takes a commission or sells product. Okay. So, Jeff, earlier you mentioned that the fiduciary oath was a piece of this, and that we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, let's talk about that now. And I think first off, there's this uh, funny word, fiduciary, and uh, help help demystify that for the people who, who are listening. <laughs> you know, what does that mean, and why is that different from uh, somebody who who might not have signed a fiduciary oath, and why does that matter when? You know, the guy I've been working with is a good guy, and uh, of course, he, he's he's looking out for me, but he sure, just sure. doesn't use you that know, F word. And, and, you know, there's a lot of good and ethical people that work in the financial services space, but they're all not all fiduciaries. And I think that's an important distinction for your listeners to really understand. Uh, a fiduciary is a professional entrusted to manage the assets or wealth of uh, other clients by putting their interests uh, first at all times. You know, not every financial service professional is required to do that. So financial advisors who follow up fiduciary standard, you know, have to disclose any conflicts or potential conflicts to their clients prior to and throughout the advisory engagement. Um, they have to disclose how they're compensated. Uh, and, you know, all of NAPA members that are practitioners are affiliated with the NRA. Uh, and as such, they're held to a fiduciary standard of care. So by law, uh, they must act solely in the best interest of their clients you know, to ensure that, you know, to your listeners, if they really want to understand if their advisor or potential advisor is following a fiduciary standard, um, they should really request information about their registration or potentially ask them if they'll sign a fiduciary oath. And I think it's that latter piece of, will you sign a fiduciary oath is really going to be the one uh, that sets it apart. You know, because if someone is affiliated with an RA, you know, they're going to put that out there front and center. But it's that fiduciary signing piece. So really Dave has a question, a follow-up question, but I'm going to butt in here and ask, right. can you be, uh, can you be, a, and I don't mean this to be cute, but can you be a part-time fiduciary? I've, I've, in looking at, uh, you know, different uh, listings, you know, obviously in our world, we see lots of press and lots of folks giving advice and, and interviews. And if you look some of those folks up, um, they say they're fiduciaries, but uh, I got to believe that, that they really aren't in some cases. So what, what kind of regulation is there around who can call themselves a fiduciary and what, you know, again, is that a full-time or can you be a part-time fiduciary or part-time non and kind of where is that shaken out? <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately the way the, the regs are written currently, uh, there is a certain amount of hat switching that can take place, you know, depending on the nature of the relationship, 
you know, there are professionals out there that may be duly registered that could in one potential slice of the engagement with their clients uh, act as a fiduciary, but then, you know, in another segment of that engagement, uh, not have a fiduciary relationship. And so that's one of those pieces that brings a lot of potential harm uh, to consumers when they're engaging with financial services professionals. And so that's why we always recommend to put yourself in the best position, uh, engage with someone who is solely an RA, not someone who's duly registered. So, okay, we've gotten into a little bit of um, inside baseball or totally thinking of the, uh, the alphabet soup. So I'm going to just ask, I'm going to pause for a minute and for the folks listening, RIA, you've mentioned that a couple of times. What's that and why does that matter? Why do I care as a consumer? Uh, registered investment advisors. So an RIA, they're, uh, I, they're investment advisory professionals who are held to the, the 40 Act. Uh, and so that's a good indicator of whether or not they are held to a fiduciary standard of care. And the 40 Act? The Investment Advisors Act of 1940. Okay. So uh, thank you. And then you mentioned duly registered. So an RIA is a firm, and it's a firm that is under the, the law of the land, under federal law, required to act as a fiduciary, and its employees are required to act as a fiduciary to their clients at all times. Correct. Now, duly registered. What is that? We mentioned that with hat switching. That that's to John's yeah. question. Sometimes I'm a fiduciary. Sometimes I'm not. Yeah. So duly registered professionals, you know, they have the RA segment of their business, uh, but then they also have licenses with FINRA to conduct some securities transactions, and so that's the piece where the dual registration comes into play. Um, so they've got their RA, but then they're also affiliated with a broker dealer, which allows them to effectuate some of those transactions, which allows them to switch hats from, you know, engaging in that investment advisory relationship to one where they're actually selling uh, the financial instrument to one of their clients. So, so oh, go ahead. And if I'm sell- if, if if an individual is out there selling a financial instrument, aren't, aren't they a fiduciary to their to their client? <laughs> You know, if, if you listen to some of what you hear on TV and on the radio, you would think so, yeah, but sure sounds uh, it, right? not under the law. So uh, this is kind of a different way to ask the same question, but uh, I think it's a very real question. So if someone comes to me, let's say I'm a, a duly registered advisor, planner, wealth manager, whatever you're going to call me, which is a whole different question. Uh, and someone asks me as a potential client, John, are you a fiduciary? But I'm duly registered. Can I say yes? Or do I have to say yes if... I do this, but no, if not. So how, how, what is required in terms of disclosure for a duly registered uh, advisor if someone asks about being a fiduciary? Do you, you know? know it, it, it depends. Uh, it depends on the nature of the relationship, uh, to be honest. Okay. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, under the, uh, in their form ADV, they're going to talk about the registration as an RIA or an IAR of an RIA. Uh, now we're getting way technical. A-V-I-A-R-R-I-A. Uh, we got our RIA. For those of you out there who are playing bingo, I think you just lined them up. We'll put a glossary on the blog post for yes, this we will. podcast. Um, but, you know, I, I think when asked that question, yeah, they're going to say they're a fiduciary because technically under the Boyac they are. Um, but then when they start doing certain transactions with their clients, they will enter into non-fiduciary space. Okay. Um, so, you would, go on. You go on. You would like to think that in all aspects of their client relationships, they would be acting in a fiduciary capacity, but they're not required to do so. It's very confusing then if I'm a consumer, right? I've heard all about this and you should say you should work with feels like your head would be spinning at this point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and again, back to what you said, Jeff, it doesn't, you know, there are a lot of great people out there who, who happen to be in a different business model. 
So the point is, is if a client's trying to find out what's best for them, uh, we want to give them the questions that they can ask to to get a a very clear answer. And to me, this just seems like a, one of those mucky ones where uh, it's not always a clear answer, even though it may sound like it. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. The three of us are you know pretty close to a lot of this conversation, and you know we probably have different interpretations of how all of that should take place and what should be said and what should be done. Um, so you can imagine how like difficult it must be for a consumer. Sure. By the way, consumer, uh, Jeff, I don't know if this is on the NAPFA website, but John Oliver did a great uh, fiduciary uh, episode on his uh, TV show on HBO. He uh, did. It's uh, fantastic. Did. Uh, probably not for young children, but uh, does a great job of explaining. <laughs> so I'd, any listener who's out there who hasn't uh, seen it, I recommend it. And, you know, that, that was about two years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah if I remember I so. correctly. Yeah. Um, and, and we definitely noticed a spike in people visiting the NAPFA website, looking at some of our consumer tools. And then that transitioned into more of a, a willingness amongst some of the mainstream consumer financial press to even write stories where they reference the term fiduciary mm-hmm. um, because there was consumer interest. And John Oliver did a pretty good job of like demystifying uh, a lot of what it meant. Or what it means today. Just a little background for those listening or scratching your head. So John Oliver, late night comedian, talk show host, did a really great 20-minute, if you uh, Google John Oliver 401k, you can learn all about this. But he started digging into his uh, 401k that was offered to him and to his employees, and he found that it just wasn't the best. Um, Jeff, a couple things that you brought up there, uh, consumer tools. Uh, help us learn a little bit about what NAPFA is doing to help consumers kind of make sense of all of this confusion out there. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that we do, and this has been a part of our DNA since inception, is just really advocating for the interests of consumers in Washington and and the states where it makes sense. You know, uh, most associations like NAPFA, when they're advocating for public policy, it's usually self-serving. Uh, it's really just to purely benefit their members. But a lot of what we do from a public policy perspective is really geared toward making the environment uh, safer and less harmful for consumers. So I, I think that's probably the biggest thing that we do. Uh, beyond that, we have a lot of uh, educational offerings available on our website, you know, resources that consumers can take to increase their own knowledge uh, about the nature of the advisory relationships that they engage in. Uh, tools that they can actually take into an office when they're meeting with their financial services professional to really uncover what it is that they're engaging in with those uh, with those folks. You know, our goal is really to be an unbiased source of education uh, on engaging with the financial advisor. So we've got things like a compensation and fee declaration to really help consumers understand what they're paying for and how their advisor is compensated. Uh, we have resources around the, the tough questions you should ask your advisor. Uh, it's funny when I talk with consumers and you know you know hear from them some of the questions that they ask their financial services professional. Uh, they ask tougher questions of the cable guy about mm-hmm. the service that they're getting there versus you know someone that they're entrusting their financial futures to. So that that's the one resource. If you know if I were a consumer and I was looking at the NAPFA website uh, and I was really looking for something that could help me make a difference in uh, engaging with a professional, that's the one that I would refer to. So for those listening, that NAPFA website, go ahead and put in a plug. What, what, how do yeah, they find it? Yeah, it's www.napfa.org. Uh, and it's just right under the Consumer Resources tab on the site. N-A-P-F-A. Okay. Um, what are some of the uh, tools you mentioned there? Um, fee disclosure, tough questions to ask. 
Uh, what are some other things that NAPF is doing that can help people kind of demystify this uh, fairly confusing landscape when they're looking for somebody they can trust to kind of guide them and advise them through the financial side of life and some of the big decisions that they they need to make? Well, it's it's a little bit early to go into the whole public policy realm, but I'll you know I'll talk a little bit about our find an advisor platform. You know, one of the things that we talked about a little bit earlier was you know how do you take that three hundred thousand person community of professionals and shrink it down to the ones that you should be working with? Uh, and I think NAPA's find an advisor platform really does help make that happen. Uh, you know, we've got all of our NAPA registered financial advisors and their firms listed on the platform. Uh, and it, consumers can search for an advisor or a firm in their area to help them really understand what they should be doing to plan from a financial perspective. And I think that's probably the most valuable offering uh, that we have available to them because, you know, you can't just Google financial advisor uh, because you're going to get back, you know, a ton of results and it's not going to make it easy for you. But we've done the, the work of curating a subset of professionals uh, that are committed to working in a consumer's best interest. It's great. And uh, I guess a fair amount of consumers are using that. Well, in uh, this calendar year, we've done close to 1.5 million visits uh, to the site uh, and almost 500,000 searches for financial advisory professionals. Uh, but that's still a fraction of the, the consumers in America that need qualified, competent, and ethical financial advice. So how do, what is NAPFA's strategy? And, and that sounds like a corporate question. How do people find out about <laughs> NAPFA? I mean, obviously, we only have so many people to listen to this podcast. Kind of what is NAPFA's outreach? Obviously, you see some reputable folks on TV talking about financial advice. And a lot of times they drop the NAPFA.org uh, as a way to find financial advisors. But how, how does NAPFA get the word out uh, about being the good guys? Yeah, I mean, luckily, we've got pretty strong relationships with members of the consumer financial press. Uh, and so, you know, for us, it's really been about that that word of mouth and that uh, trusted third party really pointing consumers towards NAPFA and NAPFA-related advisors. So you've got uh, leading journalists like Jill Schlesinger and Tara Siegel-Bernard and Terry Savage uh, that really do sing the praises of advisors that are affiliated with the NAPFA community. And, you know, they really do understand the good work that advisors like you all do. Uh, beyond that, you know, from our own uh, audience development, you know, we do a lot of radio, we do some print, we do online. Uh, it's really around this idea of making the consumers more educated so they can be good partners to whatever financial professional they decide to engage with. Are there other organizations out there that kind of rival NAPFA in perception or in their own minds that, that <laughs> folks may want to be aware of? And I mean that in all in all seriousness, but if someone is trying to find out who the good guys are and they hear that there are lots of good guys, what, what can you tell us about the others? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I like to, when I talk to consumers, if you're not going to engage with a NAPFA member, then your next best place to start would be with uh, a certified financial planner professional. So checking out uh, CFP Board's website, it's letsmakeaplan.org. Um, that's a good place, again, you're in finding about 80,000 CFP professionals out there who are held to some pretty rigorous experiential and ethical standards. Um, and then beyond that, you know, there are some other organizations in the financial planning space, um, but I'll, I'll let them go unnamed at this okay. point. So that kind of uh, almost like a ringer type thing to, to bring in there. You mentioned the CFP Board of Standards. And so earlier you mentioned something around public policy and what NAPFA is doing to help the consumers and um, 
I guess, uh, full disclosure, I've been involved in that side of things with you and with NAPFA and the CFP board. Talk about what the Financial Planning Coalition is uh, is working on and, and how people can learn a little bit more about what's being done by professionals to help, uh, to help the landscape for consumers. Sure. Uh, so Dave noted, uh, NAPFA and the CFP board and the Financial Planning Association uh, are all part of the Financial Planning Coalition. Uh, and, you know, we have a pretty unique voice within the financial services landscape because we tend to be the only industry consortium that's really thinking uh, with the consumer's interests in mind. Um, and so the biggest thing that I feel like we're working on right now is a rulemaking package that the Securities and Exchange Commission released last spring uh, and opened up for public comment. Uh, and that's probably the biggest thing that we have going on right now. And the piece that I think is most important for your listeners is this uh, form CRS or the customer relationship summary, um, because that's the piece of that rulemaking package that really could have been uh, a difference maker for consumers, uh, because it really does allow, uh, it could allow uh, a consumer to understand the nature of the relationship that they're engaged in uh, with their financial professional. So when you think about what we have within this ecosystem, you've got you know, brokers, you've got, you know, other salespeople, you've got advisors, whether they're solely RAAs or they're duly registered. Um, but that form CRS really did uh, bring about, it could have brought about a, a disclosure level that really would have helped consumers understand what they're getting into. Uh, because if you ask most consumers, they love their advisor uh, and they love the fact that their advice is free, uh, but they really don't understand the nature of what they're engaging in. And that could have done a, a world of good to help them understand. So to pull that up a a little bit here, so the Securities and Exchange Commission has been working on a set of proposals that would um, lay a little bit more uh, regulatory framework around the way that people who provide investment advice and related uh, to consumers would would work. And this form was a way to try to give everybody a, a level playing field in telling their consumers, hire them how they work. Um, That touches on maybe a little history here. And if you could take us through the the coalition's been working on public policy for, for a decade. What, what is kind of under the coalition's belt as far as major victories or major victories that have lost a little ground and how have we gotten to where we are now? It seems like that the, for a consumer, it's still a confusing landscape out there. Um, Who's doing something about this, and why aren't we further down the road? Hmm. That's a great question. You know, as you noted, the consumer, the coalition is you know, ten years old at this point, and you know it was birthed out of the uh, the fallout of the financial crisis, um, and you know there was that rush to increase regulation, and you know the coalition really stepped into a void where they were, you know, in a position to not only advocate for professionals, but then be a voice for the consumer as well. So things relative to Dodd-Frank, you know, we advocated for a uniform fiduciary standard uh, for all financial services professionals that were providing advice to retail customers. Uh, You know, that didn't really go too far. Uh, The Financial Planning Coalition was one of the leading advocates for the DOL's fiduciary rule that was rolled back during the current administration. Uh, You know, we've been leading advocates for increased regulation at the state level as well, uh, where it makes sense. Uh, 
Uh, and I think right now, you know, we're really in our wheelhouse by trying to work through a very difficult rulemaking package that the SEC has delivered uh, and making sure that whatever comes out of it you know, is in the best interest of not only the profession, but then also consumers. So, Jeff, you mentioned that um, the fiduciary rule was, was uh, I don't know if it's been stricken or if it's just not being enforced. I don't know what the technical term for what its current status is, but nonetheless, it is not around in a, in a living <laughs> form, right? But in some cases, do you feel like that the cat is a little bit out of the bag where the consumer is now educated enough that they have enough information to ask any potential advisor about, you know, do you have my best interest, even though you can't legally, you know, be held accountable for for advice and, you know, you know be taken to court, but do you feel like we've still made some gra- uh, made some headway here and all has not been lost? What, what kind of, what would you, what would you say about where we are today and the progress and how many steps back have we taken? Yeah, with, without a doubt. Without a doubt, you know, the DOL rule definitely opened a lot of doors. It was around that same time that John Oliver did his uh, his little bit on 401ks and fiduciary. Uh, so it was almost like a perfect storm of awareness raising for most consumers. And, you know, I, I think you're never going to be able to tamp that down. Um, you know, I hear from advisors all the time that, you know, consumers walk in and, you know, one of the first three questions they ask is, are you a fiduciary? Um, you know, that excites me, one, because that's advice that we've been giving them for 30 years. Uh, but two, it just means that they're asking one of the right questions. And then the next question is, how are you compensated? And do you have any ethical uh, issues that you need to tell me about? Uh, and so just the fact that they're starting off with the, the real F word conversation uh, just means uh, that they're coming at it from a really well informed or more informed position than they may have been five years ago, 10 years ago, even. Yeah, I think there's a real awareness out there about, I just I just snaked Dave on a question, but I think there is a real awareness out there that people, you know, uh, they're much more educated about it. They're also much more, um, um, I want to say, uh, militant about it, but, you know, they're very protective, you know, <laughs> uh, they've seen since 2008 uh, that nobody's going to take care of them. And so they're maybe vig- vigilance, the right word, not militant. Well, so. Uh, so I'll just throw the cynics question out there for those cynics who are listening in here. So just because you're a fiduciary, just because you're not you know, getting any commissions and compensation based on uh, what recommendations I take from you, how does that mean you're any good? Yeah, that's a big question. Right. It's like, yeah, those are to me, if I'm a consumer out there, of course, I want you to do only what's right for me. I don't want you thinking about yourself. I want to make sure that you're not getting any payola from product providers based on what you're telling me. But I also want to make sure you know what you're doing, right? I want to make sure that you're good. Yeah. I mean, so I think there's a couple of things. It's not just what consumers want. uh, It's what do they need. And so that's where I get back to this idea of they need competent and educated financial advisors. And so that's why you want to look for uh, professionals who has an advanced education or has committed themselves to pursuing a professional designation that has an education requirement in an ongoing fashion. Um, and then they want someone who's ethical and experienced. Um, and so I think that's really what it gets down to, Dave. So so if, if, if I'm a consumer and I hear that my advisor or potential advisor is a member of the Million Dollar Roundtable, uh, does that, uh, how, do I, how do I weigh something like that versus uh, something else? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, Million Dollar Roundtable is what it is. Uh, I think you need to bring it up a notch and really think about just uh, all of the designations. You know, I, I think that most consumers see a name and then 
they see, you know, 20 different alphabetical combinations behind that person's name and automatically they must assume that guy knows what he's talking about. What's uh, million dollar round table? You know, like, <laughs> what's that? What does that mean? It sounds, it sounds great. So uh, I mean, it sounds like you should all be like wearing, you know, shining armor and eating big ham hocks. Right. Right. But, but actually for um, our audience, what is that? It's a sales, it's a sales driven thing. It's that you've sold a million dollars worth of annual premium of insurance policies. So it means that you're a big producer. You're, you're, Mm -hmm. you're selling a lot of product, which I think a lot of people think, well, that means that you know what you're doing because you're a good salesperson. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that, you know, when we talk about it at Napa, it's like people need to stay in their lane. There are people in this uh, field that sell product and we need them to sell product. Uh, And then there are individuals like you and John that provide advice, and we need you to provide advice. Um, But very rarely should the two be done by the same person, Um, just for the cleanliness and clarity uh, and to help mitigate some of the conflicts of interest that are out there. So this is a good segue to Dave's. Dave's got a great question here, I think, which will be a great way to round out the podcast. Well, wait, Um, wait, wait to set me up there. This is a great question, everybody. Wait for it. You're going to love it. It's crickets. What's your favorite color? Um, Earlier, though, Jeff, you did mention this you know, emerging profession, um, and I think it'd be a good chance to kind of circle back on that. Is What does that mean? And then if you could kind of lay out what that means relative to NAPFA's long-range vision for the profession and for the consumer. Sure, sure. So, you know, I, I think that most of your listeners are probably familiar with a lot of professions out there. So whether it's medical, uh, legal, um, accountancy. Uh, Each of those professions have some distinct hallmarks and attributes. And, you know, right now, financial planning just isn't there right now, just isn't there yet. Um, You know, we're currently regulated as a subset of investment advisory professionals. Uh, But, you know, right now, NAPFA is oriented towards helping to foment the creation of financial planning as a truly recognized and distinct profession within financial services. So we want to make sure that there is a rigid uh, educational pathway for people to join the profession, uh, that there is some ongoing ethical and licensure requirements, uh, and that there is some recognition by you know, either a governmental or a private body uh, to distinguish you all from everybody else. Uh, because right now, it's a, it's a big old muddy bowl uh, of financial services participants, but there's nothing to help it make things easier for consumers or the, the next generation that wants to be where you all are sitting today. Uh, and so that's really what we're focused on, is how do we be conveners and active participants in helping to make that happen, uh, not only so that we can grow the ranks of uh, practitioners out there, but so that we can service the needs of uh, American consumers. All right, well said. Jeff Brown joining us live from Chicago, Illinois, NAPFA's offices. The website is napfa.org if you want to learn more about NAPFA. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us here in the room, Mary, I'm Dave. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Twitter or Instagram at EvoFi Podcast. Or on uh, the email is uh, EvoFiPodcast at gmail.com. So check us out. And again, Jeff Brown, thanks very much. We appreciate your time today. Thank you all. Take care, everyone. Bye.